Hello, pharmacists and student pharmacists. Welcome to another episode of Offscript. My name is Janae Bo, a member of your 2020-2021 Policy Standing Committee, and I am your host for today's episode. Offscript was created by your APJ ASP National Policy Standing Committee as an informative, interview-based podcast series to encourage our listeners to think outside the prescription pad. We interview experts in the field for our members to hear directly from them so that we, as student pharmacists, can learn about opportunities to advance pharmacy practice and envision the future of our profession. This series focuses specifically on topics that you, APHA ASP members, determined to be important based on the resolutions that passed at the 2020 APHA ASP House of Delegates. In today's episode, we will discuss Resolution 2020.12, Offering New Bricks for Pharmacists. The resolution reads, APHA ASP advocates that employers are required to give pharmacists the option of having a 30-minute meal break outside the confines of the pharmacy during each shift. Today, I am excited to bring you the wonderful Dr. Watterson, PharmD, MS, and is currently a PhD candidate for Health Services Research in Pharmacy at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She has done extensive research on pharmacist fatigue and methods on reducing this fatigue, including meal break implementation. Hello, Dr. Watterson. Thank you so much for being here with our listeners today. Before we get started on this topic, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hello, absolutely. Uh, so I am Taylor Watterson. Uh, I am a fourth year PhD candidate in the health services research program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, but I earned my PharmD from the University of Pittsburgh in 2017 with a concentration in community leadership and innovation in practice. I'm also fortunate enough to work at several independent pharmacies across Madison, Wisconsin, in addition to my graduate work. It's a little bit about me. Thank you, Dr. Watterson, for that introduction. This is a topic that you have been very passionate about. Could you give us a little overview of the research that you did and how you got started on that project? So I graduated pharmacy school, and from there, I realized that I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about kind of the research behind either why some pharmacies were performing better than others. Um, so that was where it took me to the University of Wisconsin-Madison where I got my master's thesis originally um, and um, worked specifically also in the, with um, some engineers there. So they have, there's a field called industrial and systems engineering, which kind of takes a little bit bigger picture of, you know, recognizing that we as people, as workers, we're kind of situated in this larger system, right? It's not just one pharmacist. It is this pharmacist that is working in their, their environment, in their context. They are working amongst technicians. They have computer systems that they're working with. They have tasks that they're meant to do, metrics that they're asked to meet, um, kind of all of these different functions. There's policies, there's, you know, there's all of these things that are swirling around in their system that can have an impact on their outcomes. Um, and so that's what kind of led me to this idea that, okay, so a pharmacist environment can impact their outcomes. And that's what kind of led me to this down this realm of, of fatigue. Um, so to provide a little bit of background, just kind of on the general topic of um, 
um, healthcare professional well-being in general, right? So um, in 2008, uh, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, they came out and they suggested this idea of the triple aim. Um, and it's a way to improve the, the health of the population um, in an optimizing health, health system performance, all while reducing costs, right? Great care, great quality, great patient experience, but reduced cost. Um, so specifically, the three aims of this triple aim were improving the health of the population, enhancing the patient experience, and reducing cost of healthcare. And all of these things are great, right? They're super in line with, especially as pharmacist professionals, CMRs and MTMs and immunizations. And they're great, um, especially with all of the things we're talking about with our patient-centered care. But some things that we don't always think about is that as these demands are increasing, right, in our environment and from a national setting, from a regional setting, from a store setting, from our patient expectations, as these demands are increasing, we're piling more and more onto our healthcare workers. And, um, you know, to promote all of these incredible things that they're doing, they're actually something that comes first. Um, and so, there was a group of researchers that came out and they said, actually, there is a fourth, a fourth aim, right? A fourth, a fourth aim to this triple aim. So in 2014, the quadruple aim was proposed in kind of response to these excessive demands that were placed on physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals that said that we need to actually meet the need and well-being of our of our healthcare practitioners, right? So it recognized that caring for our healthcare employee comes first. It's a prerequisite. You have to make sure that your employee is good before they're able to take care of patients and go above and beyond. So that's kind of fueled a lot of a lot of my work as well. This kind of idea that you know, in order to be able to take care of our patients, we ourselves, our pharmacists, they sometimes have to be considered patients as well. And so one particular area where I focused my research was in the realm of fatigue. Um, and and I can go more in depth in this, but just, just as a little bit of a background, right? It's just a little bit of a synopsis. Um, fatigue and even burnout, they're not really anything new. They've been studied in other professions for a long time. Um, when you think of fatigue, you think of your long distance truck drivers, you think of your pilots, you think of, you know, um, professional athletes. Um, and same with, with burnout as well. These, these fields aren't necessarily unique to healthcare, but I think we're starting to see more and more pressure, um, especially with, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic and going forward, we're seeing a lot of these actualizations of the outcomes of this, right? We're seeing fatigue and burnout in healthcare professionals and what impact that has on our patients, on the organizations um, as well. So that's kind of a general synopsis of, you know, how I got interested in, in a lot of the different kind of swirling things that have been going on um, specific to, to some of my research. So, you know, when I was reading your research paper, I saw that you used a wearable device to measure fatigue. Um, that was pretty interesting. Could you elaborate a little bit more about that technique or perhaps the data or the findings that you got from that? Um, so I got this idea to use wearable technology actually from one of my mentors um, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her name is Lindsay Stege. Um, she's an industrial engineer, um, but focused in the field of nursing. Um, and she had provided um, wearable devices to the nurses to try and track their fatigue and measure their fatigue. Um, so I thought it would be fascinating to use a similar methodology in pharmacists, right? Pick it up. It's already been done in nurses. Pick it up and kind of 
put it in, put it in for our pharmacists who we know are experiencing some levels of fatigue. But I think to take a step back further, so when I was originally interested in this idea of fatigue, I had used um, just kind of like a survey, right? Um, pharmacists were responding to their ideas or their perceptions of fatigue, what replying to what they think is going on, which is super, super important, right? Where we want to understand what our pharmacists think about what's happening to them. Um, and they kind of related to these two realms of fatigue. There's kind of this physical side of fatigue, right? You have like the, the tiredness, you have the ache and the pains from standing for 12 to 14 hours. Um, but then there's also this mental component as well, right? You, um, you have some forgetfulness. You just, just generally aren't thinking clearly. Um, you have things like forgetting whether or not you had completed a task or getting irritated with people. Those can all be, be signs of fatigue. Um, and so I'd previously done this study to deal with what pharmacists' perceptions of fatigue were, but I hadn't really done anything to measure, like, what was their body actually doing, right? So that was an additional incentive to move forward with, with this particular study using the wearable devices. Um, so I'm currently in the midst of a project um, using a product that's called Fatigue Science, um, and they're, they're kind of the company that produces these bands. It was previously developed by, by the military, um, and it's been used in other professions like heavy machinery, truck drivers, um, professional athletes, um, and, and like I said, some healthcare professionals. I, there's a study that's been done in surgeons and medical residents as another one. Um, and so they have this algorithm that captures your sleep and your wrist movement, and then they equate it to this kind of fatigue score um, or a percentage of like how how like how much of how effective are you right you're fatigued and that impairs your performance so as of right now, we've done a, a small pilot. We've piloted the bands in 20 community pharmacists. Um, and our, we found that our results are kind of across the board. We have some pharmacists who are consistently performing in this highest optimal range, very minimal fatigue, minimal chance for errors. Um, and we also have some that fluctuate more throughout the days. Now I will say from like a safety and liability perspective, none of the pharmacists that have been in our small pilot have been Perform, have been working at extreme levels of fatigue. We, we haven't seen any of that, um, but, it, it, but it's an important concept, right? We see some pharmacists are fluctuating more. Some pharmacists, they peak um, in their effectiveness kind of in early to mid morning and then later in the day, kind of consistent with like that afternoon dip, right? They kind of fade a little bit and then they kind of hit a second wind later in the day. So that's been really interesting to view. Um, kind of our next step with some of that data though is trying to to understand why. One of the things that we can relate it to is, is it personal data, um, right? Is it personal information? Is it related to their age? You know, do they have a small baby at home? I'm from Wisconsin, right? And so some of the respondents indicated that they have to get up in the middle of the night to shovel snow. And, and so trying to understand, are there individual factors that are relating to this fatigue? And also, too, trying to understand are what are those environmental, those big system factors? It doesn't matter if someone's working in an independent or a chain pharmacy. Um, what about staffing? Um, do you get a scheduled break? Do you get a lunch break, right? What are some of those differences? So our first pilot with 20 
20 pharmacists was just kind of understand, make sure that we could get data, <laughs> make sure that it could happen. Um, and then our next step is planning on um, on scaling that up um, in, in more community pharmacists. So that's kind of our next step. Um, and again, that's just in community pharmacists too, right? There's value also in measuring fatigue specifically in our technicians, our pharmacy technicians, our interns as students, but also our, our pharmacists that are practicing in different areas, right? Inpatient versus ambulatory care versus community pharmacy versus managed care, right? Are there differences there and, and what are the outcomes? Um, and then finally, right, once we know what pharmacy is, what it looks like, um, how, what can we do about it, right? You can't know if something is working really well um, until you know where you started. So that's kind of the very general gist of why I'm using wearable technology, what I what I think that it's good for. It's super really cool. It's cool to look at, um, but but I think also too it's kind of a unique application um, of of this data, but also um, that we're able to tell the story of pharmacists and what they really are experiencing out there. So, you know, we hear about fatigue and burnout all the time, and I think it's really important what you're doing because it gives a quantitative data to prove or, or show a an overworked pharmacist. Uh, and it's important when it comes to advocating for something like a meal break. Speaking of lunch break, I was just wondering if you could share your thoughts with us on what you think about resolution 2020.12. So this is a great example. Um, like I said, pharmacists, we don't work in a bubble, right? We work in an organization. Um, we work, you know, in a pharmacy with a lot of things going on. And, and I think this is a, a great example of ways that organizations can create a structure that facilitate and promote well-being, right? The pros for this opportunity, I mean, there's opportunities for pharmacists to remove themselves from the workflow, to nourish their bodies, which is important. Um, and these breaks um, have also been identified, you know, as an opportunity to cope, right? As with fatigue, especially. The thing I would say we have to be cautious of, you know, um, is how it's actually implemented in practice. What do these lunch breaks mean, right? Does the pharmacy close down altogether? Um, and if it does, what are the implications of that? You know, are you going to train patients to just say like, okay, you know, we're closed from this time to this time? Or are there going to be patients waiting angrily whenever you open the gates again? Um, and does that cause extra stress? Um, there was some, some talk back I'm going to say back in the day, and I'm saying this, you know, it was a couple years ago, I had some colleagues that worked in Target pharmacies, and Target pharmacies offered a break, um, but they would, use, the colleagues would use this time as basically just like a catch-up period, right? They were given a lunch break, but this was basically a time for them to work uninterrupted, right? No phone calls, no patients, and it was just kind of basically a time where they could catch up on all the work that they were behind on. So, not really utilizing it as a lunch break, but more so as this kind of protected time to kind of work uninterrupted. And that has its own implications, right? Like, okay, maybe interruptions are a, are a problem or a cause of this environment, right? Um, and are organiza organizations providing extra staff to support this break? Are there multiple pharmacists on a shift in general? And so, right, like you can, you can alternate. I, I believe one pharmacist is able to remove themselves, take a break while the other pharmacist covers, they switch, um, et cetera. And then, or if the pharmacy if there's only one pharmacist, they'll close. So I think it's a great option, right? I think it's a great opportunity. I definitely am all for eating lunch, right? And I think that that's important. Um, it's just also important for us to recognize how how does it actually look in practice and, and what, you know, are we doing it just to say we're doing it or do we actually get the benefit from it and how are we using that time and protecting that time? 
So looking at it from the other side, which is where some of the debates came from, is that some people actually think it's better not to have a break um, due to losing 30 minutes of pay or having to stay an additional 30 minutes when they could go home at 9, now they have to go home at 9.30. So what is your opinion on, on this side of the argument? Um, so those are definitely all great points, right? So there's a lot to be said for kind of running on endorphins, right? And running on, right, that those like those maximum like in so let me take a step back and say in pilots, it one of the fewest times that they record fatigue in pilots is during takeoff and during landing, right? Because these are high stress situations where you are, right, you are paying attention, you are on edge, you are like, go, 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 ready to go. I mean, I'm not a pilot, but that's what I would imagine it would be like, right? Those are the most stressful time periods. And then once you're just kind of coasting, right? Um, And I can equate that. I mean, I can relate to that from a pharmacy standpoint, right? Of like, as a pharmacist, as a student pharmacist, right? You're working there, you constantly have phones to take, you constantly have, you know, counseling to do. Every minute is different. You constantly have immunizations to do. So there's something to be said for kind of like these running off of endorphins, right? Um, I was doing some initial interviews with some of my pharmacists, um, like colleagues, whenever they were piloting my survey, and they were like, you know, you forget that you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the day, right? And it's not until you go, (laughs) it's not until you go to the bathroom that you're like, oh, I'm really tired. Because in the moment, you don't feel it, right? Your body is running on those endorphins, running on that energy. And so I can understand it from the standpoint of pharmacists and, and, and individuals may be worried that creating that break in the middle of the day may do more, I don't know that necessarily harm is the right word, but may kind of break up the day, right? You're no longer like in the fight or flight response of like, oh my gosh, I got to go, 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 right? You relax and that may make it harder to ramp back up again right or you know like you're finally in this lax period your body may relax finally and then it makes it harder to ramp back up now that being said right I think there's a difference between you know you need to nourish your body at some point um and I think it comes down like I said to every individual preference comes down to pharmacist preference of recognizing right like what is their body telling them but also kind of from an organizational standpoint right the 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 goal of this, I don't believe, is to create extra burden for the pharmacist, right? It's, it's the exact opposite. So it comes down to how it's actually going to be implemented in practice um, in a way that's not burdensome, in a way that it can actually be restful and restorative. But I can definitely recognize it from that standpoint of, you know, like, I'm already going, I'm already going, 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 I don't want to stop, right? Like, it's once I stop that I feel tired. Um, just kind of going off of that, I had an interesting, an interesting scenario, and, and I of someone who I was talking to, one of, again, one of my colleagues, she was saying that she had been working for as a pharmacist for like twelve hour long shifts, right? Um, she worked at a community pharmacy, and they did two days on, two days off, and so that was fine. She worked her two 12-hour shifts and she realized afterwards that like she was just super exhausted super tired was home was super thankful to have her first day off right her, for her two-day period and she got a call from her partner pharmacist that um she like I don't remember the exact situation, but it was something asking her to come in and cover for her, right? And she agreed to do it because obviously it's her partner pharmacist, right? You know, like she wants to make sure that her patients are taken care of. She recognized the situation, but she said she hung up the phone and she 
started to sob right it was this just like utter of like exhaustion fatigue right this idea that like you can't emotionally handle like another day um and i think that may be indicative of something else right but maybe more related to burnout but it kind of goes to show right these these scenarios that that do exist in, in our pharmacists um another super concerning one is the risk for um car accidents on the way home um Right. We see individuals, especially in maybe even in the institutional setting that are working maybe more overnight shifts, longer hours, longer shifts, right, are able to pull like double shifts um, versus community pharmacies that are only open for a set time. Um, right. These double shifts, they get off their shift. They don't they're not really tired during the shift. But as soon as they get off, they're exhausted. And we see an increase in car accidents when they're driving home. And, and sometimes that leads to fatality. So I think it's it's the real a real issue, this idea of maybe we're not even recognizing our fatigue. And, and what does that mean? So that's something that we also hope to take away from using this wearable device, you know, as well of, you know, like, what's the difference between what pharmacists say they're experiencing, and what's actually happening in our bodies, right? Is it different? Is it the same? Does one influence the other, right? Like, if you have a positive enough attitude, will you not, will your body not experience fatigue? Um, and just trying to relate to some, to some of those characteristics and try and have a better understanding. Well, a follow-up question is is that, you know, moving forward, what should we do as pharmacists and student pharmacists to, to help reduce the fatigue or, or the burnout? Um, so one kind of distinction that I, that I, I want to make and I kind of briefly touched upon, right? So depending on who you talk to, right, depending on the literature, um, there is a, there is kind of an underlying difference between fatigue and burnout, right? There, there are similar things related to wellness and well-being, but kind of are different. Um, fatigue, um, and as it relates to my research and, and a lot of the other folks that do this, it's kind of more of like an acute symptom, right? Or an acute condition for lack of a better term, right? It's short-term stressors that exist. Um, you know, you can take a nap, you have a good night's sleep, and you can kind of either prevent or cope or deal deal with fatigue, right? Um, now, it can be more chronic, right? There's acute fatigue, and then there's also, you know, more chronic fatigue, more longstanding, um, especially as it relates to work. Um, but then there's kind of this idea of burnout. And burnout has been pretty well studied, but burnout is more of this kind of like long standing condition, right? So burnout research um, has been a little bit more extensive. Burnout research has been done in pharmacists. Um, and it consists of these three pillars, right? There's emotional exhaustion, this feeling of being drained. Um, there's this idea of depersonalization, right? So separation between you and other people, whether that's your patients, right? It's just another line in the counter, um, or whether that's your colleagues. Um, and then the third thing is this lack of personal accomplishments, um, right? What I do is never enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not valued in my organization, right? So those are kind of the three pillars of burnout. And then on top of that, right, so you have fatigue and you have burnout and any combination of those things can lead to different outcomes whether it's patient safety whether it's job turnover job satisfaction um right like just general depression stress anxiety right so there's a kind of all these combinations that like these things impact so when we talk about what we can do about them right i think it's important to know that there are individual strategies right that we talk about and this is a lot of what's done um, or whatever we hear about, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, right? That's a tool that can be helped to, to, to address some of the, the factors related to burnout, right? Um, it's this idea for like finding positive 
you know, finding the positive things, focusing on the gratitude, um, finding your like, why, why do you do this? So I think that there is value in that in finding kind of like your vision of why you're practicing, why you do the things that you do, right? Reminding yourself why you went to pharmacy school. Um, but I think too, also recognizing um, that it's hard to make change on an individual level, you know, in our system, right? We are one pharmacist um, working or several pharmacists working in a large system, right? And that's kind of can't just put a band-aid on the symptoms, right? We have to sometimes go to the root of the problem, whether it's staffing, whether it's workload, whether it is, you know, number of prescriptions, whether it's some of these metrics that are pushed on us, whether or not it's breaks. Um, so some of the things that we can do, right, is build yourself up high enough in the organization where, where you are at that level of, you know, enacting that change, right? That's step one, become the president or CEO of some massive organization. Um, another thing too is I think a lot of this from, from what APHA and APHA ASP is doing, right? With these policies, um, putting pressure, um, putting pressure on organizations to demand kind of the well-being initiatives and, and promoting, like promoting the well-being, promoting that fourth pillar of the quadruple aim, right? About the health and well-being of our of our healthcare professionals, and and emphasizing why it's important, um, and and emphasizing kind of the impact that it has. Um, similarly, too, I think maybe on a little bit more individual level too, right? As student pharmacists, you're going to be going out into the world soon. You're going to be, you know, uh, having a job somewhere. And I think that it means a lot too about, you know, recognizing what sort of organizational values, right? Does your organization that you are working for um, address the well-being of their employees or how do they address it? And, you know, kind of having expectations. And maybe it matters to you, maybe it doesn't, but just sort of asking these questions because if we can, if we, you know, set expectations for what, what our realistic expectations are for organizations, sometimes that can put either pressure on them or just kind of set standards for what we we can and desire and what we want and so I think that's a big thing too is working in an environment or identifying what environments you value and being able to address and, and find those in any in any case right but I think too recognizing that it's bigger bigger than just one pharmacist problem it's a profession a profession problem um, and so whether it's policy whether it's kind of uh, recognizing the the value that we place uh, we place on our decisions um, I think will be a big help awesome thank you so much for that insight one of my last questions is that Walgreens started to implement a 30-minute meal break nationwide in 2019 do you think other companies will follow that's a, a great question and I think too I mean some of it goes back to right like what are our pharmacists Demanding is a strong word, right? But if you have a pharmacist that has the choice between working for an organization that offers a lunch break and an organization that doesn't, well, maybe that will inform their decision, right? Um, and so I think that pressure from one company may, you know, may motivate others to follow suit, right? Or just as similarly, you know, like they they want to make sure that they're meeting the same standards. And I think too, you know, and this isn't to make like the organizations out as a as a bad guy, right? Like the stressors that they put on on pharmacists is not is not to be meant like you know as entirely as a ba as a bad thing right there is a, a place for it for everything um but, but i think too just recognizing that that some organizations are really great about you know listening to their frontline employees and about prioritizing their pharmacists and listening to their frontline personnel just in general across the board so thank you so much dr watterson i really appreciate the time that you gave us today and I'm sure that our listeners did too. 
um, before we finish the interview, uh, I just kind of want to ask if you have any projects coming up or, you know, any last comments from you? Yeah, so I joke that like my my work is kind of providing me job security, right? So I'm currently a PhD student um, pursuing research. Um, and so my PhD thesis, as I mentioned, is kind of this expansion, right? This expansion of um, providing the, the wearable bands, the wearable devices to pharmacists. Um, you know, I did 20 in a pilot, and now I'm going on to 60. Um, and so that's kind of one step, right? Like getting more data further validating and fleshing out that that survey that I talked about um, I think that's going to be a massive step again so that way we can provide it to right we can provide it to either organizations that are interested and or you know companies that want to learn more or just individuals right like doing research and understanding the impact of certain interventions right and actually getting into the, the fun stuff of, you know, making changes of shift changes or implementing breaks. And there's also tying it to patient safety. I think the way that pharmacy is moving, we're starting to go there, right? It's no longer this blame and shame approach where errors are only one pharmacist's fault. We recognize that there is kind of a larger system that's in play that allow for errors to happen. But myself, you know, I still practice as a pharmacist. I, I think it's so so important that, you know, that we recognize that going ahead and for our students too. You know, you don't want to send students out into a profession where the people in the profession hate their jobs, right? Like we want to make sure that it's a good place and either give them the tools to mitigate that in advance um, or change it so that, so that it's better. But. Thank you so much once again for giving us your time and your insight on this topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. And anyone, like I said, I um, if if even if this spurs even a little bit of conversation about it, right? Whether it's about fatigue, burnout, or even research, right? Like I was a pharmacy student once, never thought I wanted to pursue research, and here I am. It was all kind of driven by this personal passion. So I think there's a room for for any of that, and and doing what we enjoy. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, federal law does not require lunch or coffee breaks. Currently, there are more than 20 states with labor law that does not require private employers to provide their employees meal or rest breaks. Community pharmacy practice requires a great deal of multitasking with frequent interruptions. Long periods of work without a quality break could cause increased mental and physical fatigue. If workplace provisions were implemented to allow an uninterrupted break, it may improve both patient outcomes and pharmacists' well-being. 